0: it's great to see you and it's uh, even better to have peter here all the way from southampton I'm very Woo-hoo! grateful to him for, for coming and um, he set off at half past six this morning so i've um, yeah, so yeah. had a very long yeah. day right, so um, yeah. i'm i'm really disappointed that we have not managed to muster up more people but the people that we've got here are
1: enthusiastic and very interesting I and we'll see, please, so. welcome and, uh, thank you do
0: make a start thank you very much and thank you for coming Uh, To answer the question about is the New Atheism a blind faith, Uh, yes is the answer I'm going to be arguing for. Uh, But to substantiate that answer, I'm going to dip into uh, a number of uh, points uh, made at greater length in my book C.S. Lewis versus the New Atheists from last year, which was the the 50th anniversary of C.S. Lewis's death uh, last year, so it was a good year to have a book on Lewis coming out. Uh, So I draw your attention to that book and also to my website address at the top there where you can find out more information on that, free papers and my podcast channel uh, for which I am currently recording, uh, so more people will hear this than are in the lecture room. It was uh, an article in Wired magazine a number of years ago that coined the the, the phrase the new atheism in an article written uh, by an agnostic uh, writer called Gary Wolfe. And he really summed it up in this article when he said the the new atheists condemn not just belief in God, but respect for belief in God. Religion's not only wrong, it's evil in their view. It's not just an intellectual uh, mistaken position. But uh, that intellectual mistake leads on to moral mistakes that are bad for individuals and bad for society. And therefore, uh, religion uh, is something to be argued against and something to be uh, excluded uh, from the public square. So that's what, what, what separates the, the new or the neo-atheists from what we now uh, call classical or old atheists, depending on how pejorative uh, you're feeling. And uh, you'll probably recognise some of these faces up here, particularly, of course, with Richard Dawkins, um, Sam Harris, Daniel Dennett, uh, other folks uh, who are listed here. Uh, Christopher Hitchens, the late Christopher Hitchens, uh, Oxford philosopher A.C. Grayling, uh, Peter Atkins. And you'll notice um, that the the real hub of the new atheist movement is Oxford University, um, amongst. English-speaking neo-atheists, and there are a few on the continent, Um, only the American neuroscientist uh, Sam Harris and the physicist Victor Stenger didn't study at Oxford, and even then Stenger's uh, held some visiting positions on the faculty, Uh, so it really is a rather sort of uh, Oxford-centric thing, interestingly enough, Uh, which of course is where C.S. Lewis went to university and was a professor for most of his working life. And Lewis was colleagues with people like um, P.F. Strawson and A.J. Eyre, under whom today's neo-atheists did their doctorates or uh, were in that sort of intellectual milieu uh, of the early 20th century. They're really only one intellectual generation removed uh, from Lewis's day and so a lot of the issues that Lewis wrestled with, even when he was an atheist, um, are issues that are still dominating uh, their uh, take on uh, religion and philosophy of religion and so on. So I want to, to highlight uh, three self-contradictions that I think Lewis would point to within uh, the general schema of New atheist thinking. Now, of course, new atheists are individuals. They do not all come out of a cookie cutter machine. They all uh, think slightly differently from one another. Uh, so, I'm going to be break- painting with broad brush strokes here, um, but you can uh, uh, define in the way that they've they've come to sort of uh, see themselves as a movement. Um, some things that sort of are the the general gist of what uh, is at the core, I would say. ...of the the sort of neo-atheist approach to things. And in philosophy it doesn't come any worse... ...than having a self-contradictory view of something. Uh, Because if your view is contradicting itself... ...that just means it can't be true. Um, So I'm going to point to a self-contradictory view of faith and knowledge... ...of freedom and responsibility... ...particularly when it comes to the issue that they're very keen on... uh, ...of intellectual responsibility... And also a self-contradictory view of ethics. And um, they are inveterate uh, moralizers, of course, against the the many uh, admitted uh, evils uh, done by religious people. Now, let me talk a little bit about scientism, not to be confused with science. Scientism is a philosophical view about how we know things. And it's a view that attributes exclusive or near-exclusive rights over knowledge to empirical scientific verification, uh, knowledge uh, directly or indirectly through our senses. Uh, Lewis uh, said this, it's widely believed that scientific thought does put us in touch with reality, whereas moral or metaphysical thought does not. On this view, when we say uh, the universe is a space-time continuum, we're saying something about reality. Whereas if we say, um, men ought to have a living wage, we're only describing our own subjective feelings. And on that view, you see, there's immediately a, a gulf, a distinction, between facts and values, such that values automatically don't count as factual things, and such that factual things can't be valued, objectively speaking. On this view, as Lewis said, the world of facts without one trace of value and the world of feelings without one trace of truth or falsehood, justice or injustice, confront one another and no reproachment, no friendship, no meeting of minds is possible. While Victor J. Stenger is sensitive to this uh, Criticism of the New Atheism as being scientific in its theory of knowledge and he complains uh, in his book The New Atheism that critics accuse New Atheism of scientism which is the principle that science is the only means that can be used to learn about the world and humanity. They cannot quote a single New Atheist who said that. Well here's some quotes. Think about the viewpoint of the person who issues these quotes first of all this person says that science does not require nor does it use any metaphysics okay. science can get on perfectly well divorced from it, anything to do with, with philosophical thought really they also say science is belief in the presence of supportive evidence okay While faith, my complete distinction, is belief in the absence of supportive evidence. So it's the opposite of science. Now, wouldn't you think that someone who said those things pretty obviously has a scientistic view of knowledge? Knowledge is about scientific evidence for things quite apart from metaphysics. And it's the opposite to faith. Of course, the person who said all of those things is Victor Stenger, in his book, The New Atheism. So, he's sensitive to this critique, says you can't quote any New Atheists as actually espousing this viewpoint, and yet you can quote him in that very same book, espousing that viewpoint. Peter Atkins in his book On Being says the scientific method is the only means of discovering the nature of reality. The only way of acquiring reliable knowledge. Sounds like an espousal of scientism to me. Uh, According to Richard Dawkins all beliefs fall into one of two categories. On the one hand he says there's proper evidence based belief and on the other hand there is blind faith says, faith is believing in something when there literally isn't a scrap of evidence. If there were a scrap of evidence, then it wouldn't be faith. Well, as theologian Aston McGrath puts it, Dawkins' uh, idiosyncratic definition of faith simply doesn't stand up to serious investigation. In fact, it is itself an excellent example of a belief tenaciously held and defended in the absence of evidence indeed even in the teeth of evidence so it's a blind faith in the idea that religious people have blind faith Uh, The classic Christian tradition has always valued rationality, says McGrath, and does not hold that faith involves the complete abandonment of reason or believing in the teeth of evidence. Indeed, the Christian tradition is so consistent on this matter that it's difficult to understand where Dawkins has got the idea of faith as blind trust from. As C.S. Lewis succinctly put it, faith is the art of holding on to things your reason has once accepted in spite of your changing moods. That is a much more uh, biblical definition of faith. If you look at the biblical uh, languages, where we're translating the word as faith, um, in the Greek, for example, it's pistos, the word that was embedded in the philosophical term epistemology, theory of knowledge. Uh, They are all words that mean things like uh, to believe, to be persuaded, to trust um, something or someone, um, which is, of course, perfectly compatible with thinking you've got good reason to trust them. This is a lovely uh, quote from, from Lewis. He says, now that I am a Christian, I do have moods in which the whole thing looks very improbable. But when I was an atheist, I had moods in which Christianity looked terribly probable. Unless you teach your moods where to get off, you can never be a sound Christian or even a sound atheist but just a creature dithering to and fro with its beliefs dependent on the weather and the state of its digestion. <laughs> Lovely turn of phrase. Is when we exhort people to faith as a virtue, that is to the settled intention of continuing to believe certain things, we're not exhorting them to fight against reason. If we wish to be rational, not now and then, but constantly, we must pray for the gift of faith, for the power to go on believing not in the teeth of reason but in the teeth of lust and terror and jealousy and boredom and indifference that which reason, authority or experience or all three has once delivered to us for the truth And Lewis would also note that Dawkins et al have far too narrow an understanding of knowledge they've got a, a misplaced, wrong-headed understanding of faith They also have a misplaced, wrong headed understanding of knowledge. Um, The scientific demand that every rational belief, every belief in order to count as being rational, must be justified by evidence, you know, proper evidence based belief or blind faith. Well that demand is self contradictory because it entails an infinite regress that can never be satisfied if I say I should, none of my beliefs count as rational unless I have evidence for, for it so belief A should I believe it, well is there any evidence for it then that would make it rational call the evidence for belief A B, set B we'll have one or more beliefs that go into supporting belief A Okay, should I believe, set B well, I'd only be rational, according to this principle, if I had set C, which was the evidence for set B, should I believe set C. Well, I'd only be rational in believing set C if I had evidence, call it set D, for set... You see, I'm pretty soon going to be quite a long way down the corridor. Um, that just, you, can't, you can't have evidence for everything you believe because that just entails an unmeetable infinite regress. And it's also, this scientific theory of knowledge is is open to pretty obvious counterexamples, I would say. Um, So I think I know, or at least I'm rational to claim that I know that torturing a small child just for fun is wrong. That rainbows are beautiful, that the law of non-contradiction is reliable now what laboratory experiment or test are you going to do to get evidence for any of those claims you can't um, and yet it seems blooming obvious that I know those things so, so much the worse for a theory of knowledge that implies that I don't know those things because it's obvious to me that I do As Lewis put it, you cannot produce rational intuition by argument, because argument depends upon rational intuition. Proof rests upon the unprovable, which just has to be seen. It's not an irrational blind faith in the first principles of knowledge... But if someone were to say, look, I'm sceptical as to whether you know the law of non-contradiction or the law of the excluded middle or modus ponens is a reliable, logical rule that's necessary to being rational, please give me an argument proving that I should rely upon the law of non-contradiction when I'm arguing about things. Well, any argument I gave for that conclusion would have to assume the truth ...of those logical principles. Um, so I'd be arguing in a circle. I'd be begging the question. Um, you, you, you just have to see by rational intuition that that's the way to go. You can't demand an argument for the foundational principles of rationality. And sometimes, you know, New atheists are not wrong about everything. There's Sam Harris saying intuition denotes the most basic constituent of our faculty of understanding. The traditional opposition between reason and intuition is a false one. Reason is itself intuitive to the core, as any judgment that a proposition is reasonable or logical relies on intuition to find its feet. Absolutely. Interestingly enough, as an atheist, Lewis rejected scientism, and he said... It's widely believed that scientific thought puts us in touch with reality, but the distinction made between scientific and non scientific thoughts will not easily bear the weight we're attempting uh, to put on it. And that rejection of scientism allowed him to take arguments for theism, uh, theism philosophical arguments for theism, seriously. In a way that patently today's new atheists don't. Uh, their attitude is, what, well, you've got a philosophical argument for belief in God. Well, that must be rubbish, then, mustn't it? Because that's not proper scientific evidence-based belief. So I don't need to think about it. Lewis uh, believed in what philosophers would call libertarian free will. The sort of the intuition that most people have that. Um, We have the kind of free will that seems intuitively to link with moral responsibility, praiseworthiness and blameworthiness. Um, He says God created things with free will, creatures which can go right or wrong or right. The law of gravity tells you what stones do if you drop them. But the moral law tells you what human beings ought to do and not do, but very well might fail to do. Uh, because they don't live up to their responsibilities and they are blameworthy so for doing because it's their fault because they had a choice about it. Um, Now, the naturalist has a pretty strong argument against free will, given the truth of a naturalistic, kind of materialistic worldview. And it would be a very simple argument that goes like this. It would say that purely physical things, purely physical systems of things... Behave according to the laws of physics, and so they lack libertarian free will. Atoms aren't there going, ooh, shall I obey Pauli's exclusion law today or not? Um, they just do. Uh, second premise, human beings are purely physical systems. Now, if naturalism is true, that premise also must be true, because there's nothing outside of the natural world um, that could be a part of human nature if naturalism is correct in thinking that there is only the natural world but it follows from those two premises deductively that therefore human beings lack libertarian free will so it's a nice logically valid argument with uh, premises that seem to be just kind of true by definition if you're a naturalist and you can see that argument lying behind a quotation from Richard Dawkins like this on the Edge Foundation website where he says look human brains though they might not work in the same way as man-made computers, are uh, as surely governed by the laws of physics. When a computer malfunctions, we don't punish it, we track down the problem and fix it. Um, Isn't the murderer just a machine with a defective component? Uh, Concepts like blame and responsibility are banded about freely where human wrongdoers are concerned. But doesn't a mechanistic view of the nervous system make a nonsense of the very idea of responsibility? Any crime is in principle to be blamed on antecedent conditions acting through the accused physiology, heredity and environment. You can see how that shorter argument that I gave you underlies what he's saying there. And if I started in the same place that he did... I think I'd probably be forced to the same conclusion that he's been forced to. But here's the question that I would put. Um, If everything about a person is governed by the laws of physics, as Dawkins says, surely blaming them for their intellectual failings, um, I don't know, such as having blind faith, um, makes about as much sense as Newton blaming Gravity for giving him an apple-sized bump on the head. Now, of course, gravity is the explanation of why he's got an apple-sized bump on the head, but it's not an explanation that is blameworthy and morally responsible for giving him an apple-sized bump on the head. Yeah. Um, so, how could anyone, for example, Christians, uh, be responsible for not living up to their intellectual obligations not to exercise blind faith? If they aren't free to be responsible for anything in the first place, seems to me like the answer is they can't. Okay, So on the one hand, the new atheists are all, you know evil is, uh, religion is evil because it makes people not live up to their intellectual responsibilities, because it entails having blind faith. Well, not only are they wrong about in you know, necessarily having blind faith. But they're contradicting themselves when they blame people for having blind faith because they also say people are not responsible for things. Interesting. As Lewis famously pointed out, um, when we talk about, you know, I believe X because of Y. If you want to delve into this, this is uh, uh, the, the famous argument in his book Miracles, he says, well, we can mean different things by that. There, there's the relation of physical cause and effect we could be talking about, as in um, you know, grandfather is ill today because, in a cause and effect sense of because, he ate the lobster yesterday. Obviously the lobster was off and it's given him food poisoning. Or we might interpret because as, as talking about the relation of logical ground and consequent in kind of argumentative terms. Uh, as in, uh, grandfather must be ill because, ground consequence, sense because, because he hasn't got up yet. And we know that he's invariably an early riser as long as he's well. See, I have that, that, that's the sense of how our conclusion follows from certain premises by certain logical rules of deduction. And given that distinction between physical and logical because... Lewis argues like this, if, we, if what we think at the end of our reasoning about anything is to be a valid conclusion, a rational conclusion that we're making, the correct answer to the question, well, why do you think that, must begin with the, the ground consequence sense of because, here's my reasons. On the other hand, every event in nature must be connected with previous events in the cause and effect relation. But if naturalism is true, our acts of thinking are just nothing but events in nature, by definition. Therefore, the true answer to the question, why do you think that, if naturalism is true, must begin with the cause and effect sense of because... my brain chemistry caused me to think that (laughs) the interaction of my genes and the environment caused that outcome but surely that's a bit of a problem because to be caused is not to be proved Um, wishful thinkings, prejudices, the delusions of madness they're all caused but they're ungrounded rationally speaking so, a materialistic understanding of the human person not only rules out free will, it also seems to rule out rationality. Sam Harris, interestingly, comments um, our logical, mathematical, and physical intuitions have not been designed by natural selection to track the truth. Natural selection doesn't care two hoops about whether or not your beliefs are true, it cares about whether or not they work. Now, they might work because they're true, of course, but they might work because they're not. The atheist Thomas Nagel, his recent book Mind and Cosmos, is well worth getting hold of, especially given its subtitle, Why the Materialist Neo-Darwinian Conception of Nature is Almost Certainly False. Uh, He's a famous atheist philosopher of mind from the States. And Nagel says, evolutionary naturalism provides an account of our rational capacities that undermines their reliability, and in doing so, undermines itself. In another book, in a book called The Last Word, he concedes the reliance we put on reason implies a belief that the basic methods of reasoning we employ are not merely human, but belong to a more general category of mind. Very interesting comment from an atheist philosopher of mine. In 2011, Dawkins was on a book tour in the States and the Christian philosopher Paul Copan put this question about rationality and materialism to Dawkins. Um, he says, I was curious what you'd say in response to this, this idea that um, you know uh, how do you differentiate between the arguments of the atheist who believes himself to be more rational than the theist when actually the same non-rational physical genetic forces are at work in both. Um, Even if the atheist is correct, it seems to me it would be completely by accident, rather than any virtue or rationality that the atheist has over against the theist, in that case. Uh, Dawkins replies, um, I'm not quite sure that I've got this. I mean... The same forces are shaping both the atheist and the theist and indeed everybody, yet we come to different conclusions. Is your problem. How is it that we can come to different conclusions if our brains are shaped by the same forces? No, that was not the question, so Copen tries to clarify. No, my question is, why should the atheist believe he's more rational than the theist if the same forces are at work in both of them, that is, forces beyond both of their control? Dawkins. Well, you could ask the same question about any difference of opinion. Yes. So what? <laughs> uh, so you know, <laughs> complete red herring. And then he changes the subject. He says, if you were to ask me, why am I confident that my scientific rationalism um, is uh, is the right answer? Was he going to say is rational? There, yeah, I don't know. Interesting. Um, I mean, the answer is that it works. But again, as Copan replies, and as Alvin Plantinga has very famously argued, just because it works, that doesn't mean it's true. Um, (laughs) Despite their constant moralising against the admitted evils of religion... um, Dawkins, for example, his scientism leads him to reject the objective reality of moral values. Uh, Sam Harris does believe in objective moral values and has a whole book on that, on how science can establish objective moral values. Um, he doesn't succeed, I think, in his argument, and indeed I think he explicitly contradicts himself in that book. Um, but on the whole, the neo-atheists are moral subjectivists rather than moral objectivists. They think morality is something we invent rather than that we discover, as it were. Uh, so Dawkins will say, uh, the universe that we observe has precisely the properties we should expect if there is at bottom no design, no purpose, if there's no God, uh, no evil, no good, nothing but pitiless indifference. There's just the, the the mechanical happenings of the mechanical world, and if you happen to get caught between, you know, the cogwheels of reality, you will be crushed. But hey, you know, stuff happens because well, that's all there is really, stuff happening. Okay. Um, Elsewhere, uh, he said this, there's a non-overlapping and exhaustive distinction between ideas that are false or true about the real world, factual matters in the broad sense, facts on the one hand, (laughs) remember where we started with scientism, and ideas about what we ought to do, uh, normative or moral ideas for which the words true and false have no meaning. This is back to old time logical verificationism from the sort of 1920s and 30s um, that, back to the fact value divide that we started with so you, just remember, he's, you know remember Dawkins says there are facts and there are values and there are no facts about values the words true and false have no meaning when we're talking about normative or moral concepts Hitler and Stalin were by any standard spectacularly evil men says Dawkins in the God delusion. Um, but of course he has also told us that he doesn't think there are any standards and that nothing is evil. <laughs> and you have to sort of remind yourself in the back of your mind when you're reading him saying things like this. Um, but he also says he doesn't mean it. Um, faith isn't evil precisely because, misunderstanding. this is a mistaken view, but he thinks because it requires no justification and brooks no argument. But again, when he says faith is evil because it has that nature, what does he mean by saying it's evil? Not it's true that it's evil. Not that that's an objective fact that you didn't ought to behave that way, that you're objectively obligated not to have blind faith because that's a bad idea. What does he mean? I don't like it well it's just a psychological report Um, (laughs) so we're saying look on the one hand we have no objective moral obligations to oppose we have an objective moral obligation to oppose religion because it's an objectively bad thing in that it encourages people to ignore their intellectual moral obligations responsibilities which by the way they can't live up to because no one's responsible for anything because no one has free will Um, but also there are no objective moral values then one hand gives the other one takes away at the same time whereas for Lewis even as an atheist he thought that evil was an objective fact about reality he said it's a real thing a thing that is really there, not made up by ourselves and as an atheist Lewis believed evil was something that any god worthy of the name objectively ought not to permit um, several years before I read Lucretius he said I felt the force of his argument and surely it's the strongest of all for atheism uh, quote had God designed the world it would not be a world so frail and faulty as we see um, so it's interesting to note that you will not find the new atheists pushing the problem of evil as an argument against the existence of God except for Sam Harris but then of course he believes in objective moral values Um, Because if there is no objective evil, then you can't point at the objective evil as a reason for not believing in in God. Uh, Indeed, really, your your argument needs to shift from a problem of evil to a problem of the lack of any good or evil, saying if, if this were a universe in which there is a God, there would be such things as good, and perhaps that means the possibility of such things as evil. And since there is neither good nor evil, this can't be a theistic universe. You know, that would be a much better argument in a sense than trying to say, look, there's there's evil. Real objective evil. And as Lewis found out when he thought through this this argument and he he, he talks about this saying, well that's sort of too simplistic because what do I mean by, by evil? If I say just my fancy, I'm not really Making a good argument. If I say it's something I've discovered, there's this real evil, what standard, what objective standard am I judging that by? And what sort of home within my worldview does an objective standard of goodness have? What kind of thing could an objective standard of goodness by which I recognize things as being evil be? Does that fit within a purely materialistic worldview? And he came to think that it did not, and indeed that it indeed pointed more towards the existence of a god, (laughs) that there were values um, than the opposite. If space, time, matter, if that nature system is the only thing in existence, said Lewis, then of course there can be no other source for our moral standards. They must, like everything else, be the unintended and meaningless outcome of blind forces if there is no straight line elsewhere how do we discover that nature's line is crooked what's your standard if nature is all there is in other words he's arguing look if if metaphysical naturalism is true then it ought to be the case that nothing is objectively evil Dawkins should be right that, that there's no good or evil in a materialistic world but look something is objectively evil from which it would follow that therefore metaphysical naturalism is is false. there we go. I think I've just about used up my half hour, uh, and we have some time for for q& A minutes or so. Uh, so that's good. If you want to delve more in or listen to this again, I'll get it up on the podcast channel uh, and uh, go to the website, take down a note there yeah do ourselves to some more lunch please if you've got questions
1: it would be good to continue the discussion I have a few problems where you said okay um, a bit earlier which is a bit unfortunate because I was really excited about that point like 20 minutes ago mm-hmm. and then I kind of forgot anyways um you talked about the truths that you find very compelling, like, you like, you like rainbows, or like, you're mm. so beautiful, and torturing children for pleasure is wrong. Yeah. Um, and we talked a lot about the distinction between scientific mm. evidence and faith, and how the new atheists are really like, ah, oh, you know, mm. there's no value in, in science, and, and to some gravity I really agree, because... You know, we, we, we can make observations about what we you know, see or we can test things and we can run experiments and mm. we can acquire some sort of knowledge. And then mm. there is faith, it's just like believing in things, you know, not necessarily have this scientific component. Mm. And I was just, well, well, why do we have to actually paint this this picture black and white? Why mm. can't there be some... Like, I like this this one particular quote about like, there's no overlapping that troubled me because mm. I think that there are some truths that, that don't actually well you know there are some, some uh, statements that matter I personally don't mm. care if you find Rainbow's beautiful and you know there are probably some people who find it really depressing or whatever reason it's really you know it doesn't matter but we have to agree on whether it's wrong to torture and you know and then we can we can mm. like I, I just, I'm just mm. troubled by this, this distinction that says there's no, like, you can't, you have, you have to choose. And I think that there are some truths that are just intuitively right, and that mm. people can connect with one another, mm. and it doesn't necessarily have to be religious connection, you know, we can, we can just all agree mm. that torture is wrong, and, yeah. and I can happily not believe in God mm. and still find it true. Oh, absolutely. It has nothing to do with science. And yeah. yet I can still think that science is
0: a really, really, really compelling idea. Yeah, I, I, I think from what you're saying that, that I agree with you and um, that maybe you have misunderstood what I was saying as disagreeing with you. I think what the, what the new atheists are saying is that there's this gulf between talking about scientific knowable facts and talk about value... And actually, the new atheists disagree with you. Most of them, when you say we can all agree that torturing small children for fun is wrong, so they say, "Well, there, there is nothing that's good or bad. There is no such thing as, as wrong. Really, that's just our that's just subjective."
1: Okay. Then, then, then I'm I
0: saying they're wrong about that, and I think you're saying they're wrong about that so <laughs> I think, I
1: think I, I'm, I'm like under the impression that. The, the opposing view to mm. the atheism is that the source of that is God in the Bible, which I, uh, that would, like okay.
0: I think that would be down the line somewhat. I think that's somewhat. what I meant by the black and white thing. Yeah, yeah. That and I, like okay, I, I, think, I think that both uh, you know, a theist and a non-theist can, can both agree that torturing small children for fun is objectively wrong and and not bring God into the discussion as well. I think that's just a basic intuition that we have and that, that we we Are within our rational rights to to follow. Um, I don't think you need to believe in God in order to know that torturing small children for fun is wrong. that is uh, a mischaracterisation of what's called the moral argument for God, that the new atheists attack in place of the actual moral argument for God. If you bring up the moral argument for God, the new atheists immediately default to saying, how dare you say that atheists can't be good people, or that I don't know that difference between right and wrong. And that's a complete red herring. Uh, and I totally agree with you that, that atheists and theists, without even mentioning God, can know basic moral truths about reality.
1: I'm sorry, I don't want to take away from other people, but, it's a, but how could you possibly reconcile faith in in the Bible or in God with rationality? I don't I don't understand how. Like I I, I think hmm. they are two separate things, and I'm I'm just not sure how how that argument goes. Uh,
0: well, it we can be totally rational, and right? so we can... Right. Well,
1: that... Like, yeah, yeah, that... I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying... Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm not saying that all Christians are irrational people. Mm. I'm just mm. saying that in that particular thing... Yes. I feel it's a bit... Like, you can't have it all. It's my... It's, my, it's just... And, you know, like Thomas, mm. he's, mm. he's been told, well, you have to believe before you see you know, if, if you, you, you're supposed to
0: have faith and you have to, you're supposed to trust ah, Right. Again, this is an illustration that various new atheist writers bring up in, in order to say, look, um, faith does mean having blind faith. Look at the story of, of Doubting Thomas, for example. Um, but in the story of Doubting Thomas, doubt, uh, what is recommended is not a story in favor of blind faith. Um, indeed, John who's the writer of that gospel in which that story appears, himself says that the reason that he is is giving us the stories that he's given us, including The Doubting Thomas, is so that um, the readers of his gospel can have evidence upon which to base their belief in Jesus. Um, So if the, if the, the point of the book in which that story appears is the giving of reason for believing something, it would be very odd if the point of that story was that the whole point of faith is believing in something without having a reason Uh, and indeed Thomas is given the eyewitness testimony of uh, ten of his best mates to the resurrection of Jesus and he doesn't believe the evidence that he's given and says I want my own eyewitness experience before I believe and it's it's that which is criticised but then, you know, I believe in the resurrection. Now, I don't have any eyewitness evidence of it, but I, but that's not the same as having a, a non-evidenced belief in it. But,
1: but it's a bit about the quality of evidence. Like, if 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 ten people tell me something and they have some sort of interest in it being true or in me in me believing it, then they might be more inclined to tell me, you know, whatever they mm. like. Like, it's it's just it's a bit of a different standard of scientific. Like, I mean, one of the words was supportive evidence. Mm. And I totally agree that there's emotional evidence that is Mm. just Mm. as compelling Mm. as as numbers on the page. Mm. And I would, would, you know, give everybody the go-ahead to believe in in emotional evidence every day. Mm. I'm just, Mm. I'm a bit, like, scared or or concerned when you base an entire religion, Mm. an entire, you know, like, worldview on something that seems so...
0: Okay. I think what you're, what you're opening is up. Right? To address your, your issue, I'd have, I'd have to do a completely different talk, really, on the, the rational basis for positively for theistic and all Christian belief rather than what I've presented, which is a sort of critique of new atheist understandings of faith and rationality and, and so on. So I, I think, A, we can say we agree that the new atheists are wrong when they make this fact-value distinction and say the only way of knowing things is through empirical evidence. So we agree that there's rational ways of believing things that aren't to do with having empirical evidence. And we can agree that some of those rational ways of knowing things involve those kind of basic intuitions that even Sam Harris was talking about, whether we're talking about morality or the laws of reason, um, sort of axioms of rationality or mathematics or or whatever um, and then I'd have to take the discussion from there on a basis of what are our grounds for rationally believing things and try and construct what, share with you what I think are good reasons for thinking that Christianity is, is true but obviously I, that's not been my focus in yes. yeah. so I'd, I'd love to have the time to discuss with you um, but I would point you to my website where there's lots of free stuff where I, where I make some of those arguments um, and perhaps other people want to ask me about some of those cause we, I, I, sort of, I touched on a sort of negative moral argument against naturalism but I didn't even touch on, on how I would construct the positive moral argument for God which again I would emphasise it's, it's not about you can't know the difference between right and wrong without belief in God The moral argument is you can't rationally explain the existence of such a thing as right and wrong without mentioning a God. And those those are very different things. Um, But I'll stop there because I want an opportunity for you to, to ask questions.
1: Yeah, sure, okay. Yeah,
0: fine, let's go for it, yeah.
1: Um, I know that not all atheists, <coughs> or actually many, mm. are not that comfortable being kind of grouped together, so I'm sure. do you feel comfortable saying, like, the new atheists?
0: The new atheists. Well, they've kind of grouped them, themselves together. Um, the, 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 particularly the, the, the quartet—they've told themselves the Four Horsemen of the of the Apocalypse. Daniel Dennett, and Richard Dawkins, and Christopher Hitchens and Sam Harris—they've campaigned together, written books, referring to themselves as the new atheists. Uh, so I quoted from Victor Stenger's book, "The New Atheism" in defense of reason. Russia. So it, it's their self-characterization. So
1: you're, you're most of, like attacking the, the individuals, and they and they're.
0: I'm attacking the ideas that I see as put forward as, on the whole, as, as being core of what is uh, at the, the core of what is called the new atheism. Uh, and I think I was careful to, to, to say they're not cookie, cut, cookie cutters. I can't even say that now; they're different. Sam Harris, for example, disagrees with the others on moral objectivism, argues for moral objectivism, says science can establish that, and the others disagree with him. Um, and so on. So there are differences within them, but there must be something that they have in common in this, in this self-appropriation of, of, of this, this term. And of course, just as there are differences between different types of religious people and different denominations of Christian and so on, there are different types of atheists, and you know, there are plenty of atheists who are completely up in arms and sort of going, oh, good grief, about the new atheists. Um, so there's an atheist philosopher in America called Michael Reuss who um, famously put a, uh, an endorsement quote on the front cover of a book Against the New Atheism that uh, Alistair McGrath wrote. And Michael Roos, who's uh, you know, he's an evolutionary uh, biology, b- philosopher of evolutionary biology, and he said on Alistair McGrath's book, um, the, the, the new atheists make me ashamed to be an atheist, and Alistair McGrath shows why. <laughs> you know, he's like, stop doing this, guys, you're giving atheism a bad name, you know. So uh, I don't at all want to give the impression that this is a, you know, here's my three knockdown points QED against atheism. I I was very specifically asked to address the the new atheism um, and try and get to the core. I mean, I I would make some of the same criticisms of naturalism as a worldview, which a lot of atheists tend to share. But of course, you can be an atheist without being a naturalist. You can can be a Buddhist. Lots of Buddhists are atheists. They're not naturalists, um, so you have to keep these overlapping distinctions clear. Yeah. Is it a growing
1: movement? Do you know? Like, obviously, you've done research. It. Mm. Is it getting bigger, or is it, is it more like
0: those other stars? Yeah, it, that's a little hard to, to tell. Certainly, statistics from from America in terms of self-identification. As an atheist, uh, in the last decade or so, have have gone up um, in a significant manner, uh, and I think most people would attribute a lot of that to the new atheists kind of giving people permission in, in a culture that's that's very kind of very very sort of religious culture, and, and the, still the majority of people go to church week by week and so on. People who are atheists in America and the whole political system there being tied in. So much more politically, with religious and non-religious beliefs and things, it's a lot more sort of politicised, and I think the atheists have have given people sort of permission to feel more comfortable saying, "Yeah, I'm an atheist," rather than just ticking "other" or "don't know" or, or whatever. Um, uh, which is you know, no bad thing, I, I think. It's Anything that encourages people to be honest about what they actually believe and have an honest conversation about these things in, in the public square, I think is, is a good thing. Um, whether it is um, actually produced more atheists than there were before, I think is very hard to tell. Um, the publishing phenomenon of it, the sort of first wave from about 2005... 2006 2007 they're on to you know they published their first swathe of books there was a swathe of books published against them they've published a few books replying to the books replying to them and then you're I think you're into a sort of law of diminishing returns in terms of of media presence and so on because it's not a new news story anymore whereas when you had the first you know Best selling books on atheism being bestsellers in the New York Times bestseller list and so on. That was kind of a new media sort of phenomenon. Um, whereas it's like, oh yeah, there's that group of atheists now and we all know about that. And, but the conversation still goes on. There's still plenty of interviews and journal articles and YouTube videos and all that stuff rumbling on as the debate goes on. Any other comments? Anyone want to say?
1: Are most of the. When you, you brought in the, on the sort of logical thing about naturalism, mm. um, does that apply to most of the people we were talking about? because then you used it as a counter-argument against something
0: that Dawkins said. Yes, I, I, I illustrated from something that, that Dawkins said. Do, do you mean about, um, about free will or about rationality? I
1: don't know. All I remember thinking at the time was, oh, I didn't realise that you'd connect the two
0: together. Right, well, yes, because I haven't got time to quote from, from all of them. If, if you want to go into...
1: No, well, it was really that I didn't know how many naturalist yeah how
0: they linked in right well I think again they will differ amongst themselves so some naturalists believe in objective moral values most new atheists are naturalists who don't believe in objective moral values some naturalists believe in free will but most new atheists are naturalists who don't believe in free will um, and I happen to think that on those subjects it's the new atheists who are being more consistent than the other type of, of naturalists I think if you take naturalism as a, as a starting premise then you can easily construct some very powerful arguments for thinking there's no objective moral values there's no free will um, etc I'm totally confused by the whole idea of there not being any free will. I can't, I just don't mm. understand how. They say so it's an illusion. Of course, it seems to us that we have free will, but that's just an illusion fobbed off on us by our genes. So who is, what's it predetermined by then? Well, we, we, are, we are just physical objects composed of a lot of physical objects interacting with each other. So I'm a, I'm a lot of quarks and gluons making up atoms that make up molecules that make up compounds that interact with each other according to the laws of physics at various different levels of reality. And one physical state of the universe at time one causes the physical state of the universe at time two. Even if you bring in a Copenhagen quantum mechanical there's a bit of random, genuine randomness in here. Well, that doesn't buy you um, that doesn't buy you genuine intentionality. Um, so you have these these mindless, unintentional forces interacting according to their mindless, unintentional natures, with a bit of randomness thrown in maybe, alternating with it. You know, none of that seems to buy you the capacity for genuine intentional rationality or thought about things or so on. And this is one of the things that really worries Thomas Nagel, who I'm quoted from, although he's an atheist. He's an atheist who argues against at least the current conception of naturalism, he will say. He will say, um, how we think of naturalism now, it just makes no sense. It would mean things like, I don't have Probably, any. Really isn't it? Yeah. because it's
1: it seems completely irrational.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it, it, it is. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it is. It undermines rationality. It would say it would say things. For example, it would imply that I don't have any thoughts about anything, because physical objects and laws are not by nature intentional. They're not about anything. They're caused by things. It's almost the opposite of being caused by is to be about. But then you read a book. Like um, Alex Rosenberg, who's more of the sort of new atheist side of things, he's a um, physicist from the States. Alex Rosenberg has a book in which he argues at length that nobody has any thoughts about anything. <laughs> and in which, of course, he also says things like, I'm now thinking about this argument, that, that the conclusion of which is that we don't have any thoughts about anything. What's that argument about again? You know. <laughs> So, yeah, um, the emperor has no clothes. I would say. Mm-hmm. Great. Well, thank you. Oh, one more. Great. Great.
1: Because uh, it's, it's you, you mentioned like AJ and then being like studying under them. Is, mm. it, is it kind of do you, is like the new atheism, like kind of an elaboration on the principles of ver- verification? And
0: it's one of those... So, so for those who, who don't know, quickly, the principle of verification was a, a move in philosophy in the early 20th century that was about when language is meaningful. And it says, here's a, a criterion by which we judge whether language means anything. Before we even get to, is it true or false, you have to know, well, what is it claiming? And it has to be meaningful to, to actually claim something. It's, it's got to be not... You know, for, I, I'll give you a bit of nonsense poetry... <sighs> You can't really ask the question: well, Is Pete right about that or not? <laughs> okay. So they said language is only meaningful if it's either true by definition, like you know, um, no bachelors are married, or two and two is four. Okay. Or uh, at least in principle, you can you can check it out. You could verify it with scientific method, with empirical observation or something. So if I said you know, the, maybe the moon is made of cheese. Okay, well that's not true by definition, but it is meaningful because at least in principle, you could imagine it's possible that you could check that out by your senses were you to find yourself on the moon somehow, you know um, you could bend down, eat some of it, and go, "Oh, gorgonzola, you know, or not. so you might say well, that's a really silly claim to make, but it's meaningful at least, okay, so AGA, having given that that, that principle, said. So notice what that principle would rule out as being meaningless. Talk about God, he said, would be meaningless. Talk about moral values or beauty or whatever would be literally meaningless. Because it's not true by definition, you can't know it empirically. Um, It didn't take all that long for people to point out that neither was the criterion of verification true by definition, nor something that you could empirically verify, and that by its own standard, it was meaningless, which was a bit of a problem for them. So um, that kind of died a death in the mid-20th century. But a lot of people kind of retreated to sort of the next best position, as it were. You just say, okay, um, this sort of truth by, by definition and empirical observation, it doesn't, doesn't define the meaningfulness of language, but let's apply it to the truth or falsity of claims. So you can only know something to be true if it's true by definition or you can empirically verify it. So you shift from talking about applying it to meaning to, to applying it to to truth and knowledge. Um, so, okay, it's meaningful to claim that there's a God, but you can't know it through science and so on. <laughs> yeah. And, and that is where a lot of the, the new atheists are allowing that kind of thinking to dominate their, their understanding of knowledge. Yeah. Well, thanks very much, Peter. Thank it's you. been really stimulating. Thank you. And um, sorry, we're going to have to wrap up because we've got to be out of the room. Right. But uh, let
1: me just say thank you very much thank for you. coming. Thank you.